0: So last week we had our baptism service. Isn't that one of the best services that uh, we have? Just to see people declaring publicly their faith in Christ and saying, I want you to know I'm going public with Jesus, that he's coming to my life and he's changing me from the inside out. Last week, um, a friend of one of those who got baptized posted something online. I want to just read it because I think... This shows what Jesus wants to do in your life and in my life for your coworkers, your neighbors, your family members. Here's this guy writes this past week. A little story about the God I serve. Jesus has taken me from a narcissistic abuser, a drunk, a cheater, and an all-around bad friend to being redeemed. God answers prayers. I prayed when I found the truth that others would see the light in me and be inspired to find their light. Today, I watched a woman that I took to hell and back, a woman I watched fight demons and family and come from a dark place to find her truth, capital T, and get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Prayers were answered today. To those that don't believe, I understand. I once didn't believe, but God is real. He's alive. He's waiting for you to find the light. A woman I thought I would avoid and never talk to again has learned that she is forgiven She's forgiven me as well. Miracles happen. That's awesome, isn't it? Indeed, they do. So cool to read that. Friends, that's the wonder of the gospel that there is an identity transformation for you and for me. In fact, I'm just going to put that right here at the top that you and I can experience an ID, an identity transformation, that that's God's heart for every one of us. It's the reason that Jesus came, and, that, uh, and it's what he longs to do for all who he, whom he loves, and that's all of us. Is that possible? Yes. Is it difficult? For sure. Is it God's heart? Definitely. So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to see what is the kind of change from an old you to a new you that Jesus wants to bring into your life, okay? It's gonna be an encouraging message. Let's turn to Romans chapter 7. Uh, if you don't have a paper Bible with you, the Bible app is an awesome app to download, or you can go to the Grace app. We have the Bible there as well. And, but here's what we're looking at in this series called Identity Matters, how the gospel, that is the good news about Jesus, changes us, shapes our identity, and transforms our outlook on life. Those of you engaging online, really glad to have you with us Thank you, you're engaging from all over Northeast Ohio, from different countries around the world, Um, and we're just glad to have you with us as well. I wanna give a shout out today, by the way, to all of our volunteers and Grace Kids. You maybe didn't know that we have, at all of our services, we have kids programming from birth through sixth grade. At all three services on Sunday and at other times, and just a huge shout, would you just, in case they're watching later, would you just give them some applause for (laughs) volunteering like they do? Faithfully serving every week. So, on the screen, you're going to see just a quick outline of the book of Romans. Five S's. We've seen how that first one, sin, devastates us. We we do things we later regret. We we don't do the things that we wish we would. And. And we just, we present this resume to God that's very faulty, like it's really bad. And when we say, God, here's what I've done and here's my accomplishments, God looks at that and with the good stuff is a whole lot of bad stuff that sinks our ship. Like we're not going to make it. We can't be acceptable to a holy God. So the transformation is that Jesus says, you know what, I'll take your bad resume Here's my good resume. I died on the cross, and I'm giving you a perfect resume. And when we acknowledge, we say, Jesus, my, I'm, I'll never be good enough. I can't do it, that, but I, I give you my sin, and I accept your perfect resume. That he accomplishes for me and for you what we can never do ourselves. That's salvation. And Hebrews chapter 2 says, we have a great salvation. But he didn't only save us. He also sanctifies us. That's the third S there, that he wants to not just forgive us, but to shape us and to make us the kind of people he wants us to be. So he's, he's working on Jonathan Schaefer. like I'm, I have a long ways to go, but he's shaping me and he wants to do that for you. And so that's the kind of heart that he has. So Romans chapter seven, Paul is continuing to answer a question that had been raised by the Christians in the early church. And it was this, it's in chapter six, verse 15, and Paul's still responding to that. And this question is, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace. In other words, if you and I are accepted freely by God's grace, can we just live however we want? Like just sin whatever, however we please, because after all, it's not my resume, it's his. And so I can just, and Paul, you know what he says? He goes, no, 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 no. Meganoita, remember that word? God forbid, that's unthinkable, he says. And he gives us two reasons. You'll see these in your notes if you're following along. Reason number one is laid out in the rest of chapter six. Pastor Kareem talked about this last, last week. Didn't he have a great message, by the way? Uh, well, wow! Uh, just I was with four of our five kids. Mary and I were on vacation with our kids and our little grandson Teddy, and we tuned in uh, to the message and just so grateful. But here's what Paul tells us in chapter six, the end of chapter six. He says, essentially, he uses there the metaphor of slavery. He says, "You are either a slave." to sin, or you're a slave to Jesus. There's no, there's no in between. So you can't say, ah, I don't think I'm, really a, like, I'm not really a slave to Jesus. You know what Paul says? You're sort of a slave to your passions and your appetites and whatever you want to do. And he goes, that's a nasty place to be. You know why? Because when we just live on our own and the way we, we want to live, we end up hurting not only ourselves, but we hurt the people around us, people we love. It's happened to all of us. We go, why did I do that? Like, I just, I crushed her. I I did something that, and when you're a slave to sin, you end up doing things that are, but when you're a slave to Jesus, he is an entirely different and better leader. And you might go, I'm offended even to use that word slave. When you have a leader like Jesus who says, I'm willing to die for you, not just willing, I did die for you. Who would not follow a leader like that? That's reason number one. You don't wanna stay enslaved to sin. You, you now belong to Jesus. Then here in Romans seven, Paul gives us reason number two to follow Christ, to say no to sin and it's this. He says reason number two, you're either married to the law or you're married to Christ. Now you might go, dude, you just completely lost me on that statement right there. This word gets a little deep and that's why I'm, I brought up my flip chart here and, and so here's what Paul's going to talk about. He's saying there's an old me. You can put yourself in there. And there's a what? All right. You're all awake this morning. Uh, there's an old me and a new me. It says the old me was married to what? The law. The new me is married to Christ. You go, I don't understand that. Paul's going to tell, we're going to see what he says about this. But what he means by this is he says, when we were the old me, I was just trying to obey. I'm trying to be good enough for the people around me. I want to, I want to get their approval. I want them to think I'm like a pretty good person. And if I believe in God, I want God to accept me and to go like, Hey, Jonathan, you know, I think you sort of cut, you know, the, I think you're going to make it. You're, you're better than a lot of people. We're married to the law. It's all about what we do and how much we can obey, but he says something happens that when you go from the old me to the new me, he goes, your union with Christ, when he died, you died. We talked about that. He says, you have someone new in your life. You now with Christ, you died to that, and now you could be married to Jesus. Let's see what Paul says and, uh, in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. We'll read the first several verses here, and if it seems a little bit confusing, hang with me, and, uh, and we'll, we'll seek to dig in. He says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, this makes a little more sense probably to someone who grew up steeped in the Jewish faith because they would memorize and quote. They'd even have law like, written on things hanging from their you know, different tassels. He goes that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. He goes, okay, that's my illustration. So now he refers it to the law. My brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. In other words, when Jesus died, if you are connected to Jesus, you died. That you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Who's that? To Jesus. In order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, the law, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Bottom line, Paul's going, you've had an identity transformation. This is the way you used to be, the old you. This is the new you. When you gave your life to Jesus because he died, you died, you died to the law. That relationship has been cut. You now have a relationship with Christ. Really, it's this. This this marks the Christian life right here, that from the old me to the new me no longer is is my life about self-improvement, just trying to do better, trying harder. It's about I have a new relationship. I'm a new person that Jesus has come to live within me. Paul says in uh, verse uh, one, he says, the law has authority over us. If I'm the old me, when I'm like, I'm just gonna try harder, I'm gonna try to do my best and be good and all the rest, he goes, the law has authority over me and it's I'm married to the law because that's my means of approval and, and it's a toxic marriage. I always feel defeated like, I, I never do what's right. I, I said that something I wish I didn't say. I thought something I wish I didn't think. I, I didn't follow through in a prompt I should have done. And this is, this is really tough right here. But he goes, when you put your trust in Jesus, he says, things change. He says in verse 4, he says, when you died to the law, you now belong. Would you say that word with me aloud? Ready? Belong. You belong to Christ. You have a new relationship, a new me. And Paul says in verse 5, he says, my old me, he says, when I just tried to to do what's right, there was a harvest of sinful deeds. In the new me, he says in in verse 4, he says, now there's a harvest of good deeds for God. In other words, the old me, I, I try my best, but sins... Just keep on piling up. That's what he says in verse 5. But he says in verse 4, he says, but when Christ, when the Holy Spirit comes to live within me, he says, the good deeds begin to pile up. In other words, the Spirit of Jesus comes to live within me, and something happens. I just begin to reflect his heart more. Friday night, Mary and I had over one of the classes from Grace, the Grace 101 class, and it's a class where people are thinking about, you know, membership. And so we had about, I don't know, maybe 25 of us at our home. And uh, we plan to do that with all the Grace 101 classes coming up. So anyhow, we're in our family room, and we uh, ate a lot of great food because that's what Shafers do. And then we started to talk about our spiritual journey. and And we said, you can either say something about how you began to think about Jesus or how you came to grace. So we're going around, and one person said, you know, I was part of another religious tradition growing up, and... In my perspective, uh, she said it was it was sort of meaningless and wrote. It just felt like I was just jumping through the hoops. And she said, so I sort of drifted away. She went to college and I had this professor. And this professor just had a light about her, like she just shone. And I found out that she had a personal relationship with Jesus. It was the first time that I I understood that Jesus wasn't just a figure in history or a concept, an idea, but that he was a person. And and she said, as I look back on my journey, that was was the first person she mentioned that had a profound impact on her life. Why? Just because of the way she treated people, the light, the, the joy in her life. Another guy talked, and he said that he went through a cancer journey. And he said, several years ago, he said, I, it was maybe three years ago, he said, I, uh, it, they diagnosed pretty serious form of cancer. And they, they told me at the clinic that I could go through some, some trials, uh, these you know, medical trials. So his first two didn't work. I'm doing this third one. He said, one time I'm, I'm at the medical center and I'm, you know some other people there are getting the same treatment. And this woman next to me, we begin talking, didn't know her. And so we start chatting. She's getting the same kind of treatment that I'm getting. And at one point she just said, hey, I'm just feeling prompted. Would it be okay if I, if I just pray for you a moment? And he said, she prayed a simple but profound prayer for me. And he said, that really had an impact on my life. You see what happens when there's a new me? It's not just that I have a relationship with Christ. He says, there begins to be a harvest of good deeds. That, that God begins to do something new in me, even when I'm not aware. But that professor probably has no idea that years ago, there was a student in her class who, who saw something in her, that made an impact on her life. Good deeds. Another key point that Paul makes here is this, he says, when that happens, we're not obeying just because we have to. Our motives change. You see, the old me, the reason that we obey is to seek to earn our way to God. Now when I obey, why do I do it? I, I, I do it out of love and out of gratitude, right? It's it's just, it's, you, you see, we could say this, religion is all about performance and, and saying I've got to be good enough and do enough and a relationship with Jesus is all about grace, not grace church. I hope we wear our name well, but about the grace of God it's we're just accepted. Let me give an illustration of this because Paul wants us to know his big point is you're not married to the law anymore. Uh, you, it's not about trying hard or doing enough. He says, when you have a new you, you just invite Jesus to come into your life and things begin to change and you're accepted. It's a relationship. It's grace. Let's talk about the difference between these two. Religion is sort of like joining a team. Uh, It doesn't matter what team. Think of a team you've wanted to be a part of. Maybe maybe you are in middle school or high school, or do you remember back to then, and there was the basketball team or the cheerleading squad or an academic challenge or maybe it was a dance troupe or whatever it might have been, and you would try out, and you had to perform, and you had to be better than all the other people, right, or at least enough of them to make the cut. And if you performed well enough, You earned your way onto the team. You performed enough to be able to make it. That's what it's like the old you. When you try religion and you go, I just have to try harder and be good and do enough and all, you always live with the sense of fear because it's like a team. When you join a team and you've been good enough, you've performed well enough, you also might find that a year or two down the road, what happens? Someone else tries out and they're what? They're better than you are. And you get bumped off the team. You always live with this fear overhead of, Am I good enough? Am I gonna make it? Will God accept me? But when you put your trust in Jesus, you don't obey anymore out of trying to earn your way. It's more like another illustration adoption. This is National Adoption Month. I love how many families at Grace have shown his love to children and youth through adoption. When you're adopted, Do you earn your way into that family? Oh my goodness, never, right? A mom, a dad come and they go, you know what? We love you and we want you to be part of our family. There's a long process that they go through. But do they, you know, a year down the road go, you know, we're looking at your grades right here. Got a couple of C's, B minus, 1A. Not really sure it's gonna work out for you to you go, don't even say that. That's a terrible thought, right? They would never, ever do something like that because it's now a relationship. You're part of the family. It's it's grace. You see, they, you don't obey to earn your way. You obey when a, a, an adopted child, or really any child, says, you know, I I, I do what my parents say. I, um, I'm gonna follow curfew. Dad says, hey, would you take the garbage out? Or mom asked for whatever kind of, you know, you to do something. And, and uh, clean your room, you don't do it because you think, if I, if I don't do it, I, 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 I might not be in the family anymore. You do it because you, you love them, right? And kids, hear me now. Uh, if you're like, that's not really why I wanna obey. I Obey because I want my allowance or whatever. Ultimately, right, if you have reached maturity, it's because I'm so grateful for my family. When you've been adopted into God's family, you're a new you. You're connected to Jesus. His Holy Spirit just works out good in your life. You obey out of gratitude. You have a relationship because of love. You're in. You don't have to work for it. Now, Paul anticipates a question that comes from this. Someone might go, well, if the law is over on this side, the law must be bad, right? And and so Paul responds to that. Look at verse 7. Here's what he says, verse 7 and 8. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Like, is that on the wrong side of the column? He goes, certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known that coveting, that's the 10th commandment of the 10 commandments, was, was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. What does he mean by that? Here's Paul's big point. God's law isn't the problem. It's just not able to save you. In fact, he says in verse 12, he says, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. If you could summarize Paul's teaching, it would be this. The law reveals how broken we are. And sin, this power of sin, works in my life and uses the law to stir up evil desires within me. It's like seeing a sign that says, wet paint, don't touch. What's the first thing that some people want to do? This might just be Jonathan, I'm messed up. I see a sign like that and I go, I want to touch that. I want to just see, oh, yep, sure, it's still wet. Yep, just like the sign said right there. There's something about the law. I remember being on this one road where in a place where we used to live and, and it said no U-turns. You know where all the tire tracks were? But that's a good idea. I'll take a U-turn right there, right? There's something about seeing a law that sometimes there's evil within us that sin uses the law to cause us to do what's not right. But is the problem with the law? It's a problem with the sign? No, the law, Paul would say, is sort of like an MRI scanner. Some of you have had an MRI. You know, you go in that tube, you feel claustrophobic. And an MRI does what? It reveals What's going on inside your body? And it, and it might show there's some brokenness. Maybe you got a torn ACL or some cyst behind your ear, or whatever, and they're like, okay, it reveals something. MRI reveals it, but can it fix it? No, it doesn't, it doesn't fix it at all. It just reveals that there's something wrong. But does that mean you curse the MRI machine? You come out and the MRI, they go, yeah, you got a torn ACL. That, oh, that MRI machine, I can't believe it. Paul says, No, the problem's not the MRI. The problem's not the law. It just reveals that I'm broken, but the MRI motivates me to get what? To get help. And the law reveals something is broken within me and pushes me toward Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. So he's saying this, he's saying, The law shows me that I have brokenness. And but he says, but when I come to Jesus, I have a new way to live. That, uh, that there's hope, there's healing right here. I could have put brokenness and healing, that, that the law says, you, you, like the MRI, like John, you're sort of messed up. You got sin in your life, but I come to Jesus and he gives me a new way to live, it says in verse six in the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit gives me power to say no to sin. That when I feel like oh, I, I don't know if I can, I've always wanted to do, you know, and and it, it, he helps me. There's an alarm system that goes off. You ever have that? Where you sense the Holy Spirit going, don't say that. Don't say that right now. You know you want to say it, but don't. And and I had a friend who told me one time, Rob, he said, you know, I, I used to be able to enjoy sin more before I was a follower of Jesus. <laughs> he said, now that I'm I've got this new me and the Spirit of God's living with me, I start thinking about something wrong or doing something wrong, and, and this like alarm system is going off, don't do that. That's a gift from the Holy Spirit, Why? Because the Holy Spirit's going, I don't want you to hurt the people around you. I don't want you to hurt yourself. And so Paul says here, he goes, you have a new way to live in the Holy Spirit. But Paul is honest. You see, if we were to come over here, this way over here, he would say is filled with failure, a sense of I can't, I can't do it. I just can't, I I just, I mess up repeatedly. You know what he says over here? He says that there's a battle. He's honest here. We're gonna read what Paul says here toward the end of the chapter. He says, there's a battle, the old versus the new in my life. Paul is an honest person here. If you struggle sometimes and go, Jonathan, I'm new and I, I want this to be true in my life, but I feel like, well, let's listen to Paul. Before we read these few verses here toward the end of the chapter, people disagree if what Paul writes here was written before he became a follower of Christ or after he became a follower of Christ. I agree with the majority who say it's a testimony of Paul after he had a relationship with Christ because he speaks in the present tense, and I think his experience resonates with so many of us. Let's see what he says beginning in verse 18. He says this. He says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do it as good, but I don't. I don't wanna do what want to do it as wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. What he's saying is it's the old me. It's not, it's not what Jesus, is not the me Jesus created me to be. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. Paul's going, there's a battle. Anybody relate to that? You go, absolutely, I feel this battle in my soul that what Paul says here, he go, that's me. Like, why do I, what he's saying is this, followers of Jesus, you don't change overnight. There's a struggle in the battle. If you have that kind of struggle, if you go, man, I feel there is a battle between the old me and the new me, Paul says, welcome to the club. You know what he says here? Paul would say, there's a battle. He doesn't say, I can't, and over here, I can He goes, you know what? It's still... I can't, but, what, Jesus can. He's saying, you have someone new who lives inside of you. You now have a relationship with Christ. And he says, you don't have to do, you don't have to obey the old me. You don't have to give in. Listen to what he says here in verse 24. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in where? A relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, that's what it means to be a Christian. That I can't, but Jesus can inside of me. That he, the the one who came and lived a perfect life, was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. That he's come to live within me to give me strength to overcome sin. Will I struggle? Yes. Will I fail at times? For sure. But are victory and growth possible in the new me? Yes, yes. The question, am I willing to cooperate with him? Paul says, verse at the top of your notes. Paul says in another place, he says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide what? Just say that aloud with me. A way out. Ready? A way out. He's providing a way. Every time you're tempted, he provides a way out. It says, God is faithful. So you have to look, what's the way out? He's made you a new you. You have the power of Christ. I can't, but Jesus can within me. It might be that you say, I'm gonna be part of a small group. I'm gonna go to one of the adult classes beginning in a couple weeks. I'm gonna talk to one of the affiliate counselors here at Grace. I'm gonna join Keys to Recovery on Tuesday night or Galvanize on Friday night or Seven Pillars on Wednesday night. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a prayer partner. I'm gonna talk to someone. I'm gonna get the help so that I can become the new me and experience in company with others The power of Jesus to become the person he wants me to be. Let me close with this story. One of the individuals who got baptized last week shared their story of coming to faith in Jesus, and they said this. They said, Eight and a half years ago, I was completely defeated from alcohol. I surrendered, got sober, and turned my life over to Jesus Christ. Since that day, my relationship with Christ has just grown. It all started with one simple prayer asking Jesus to keep me sober. I repented of my sins and was forgiven and God delivered me from my obsession. Through every trial and tribulation, Christ has been by my side, carrying me. I love that. Carrying me, giving me strength. How I know this to be true is because I haven't had to pick up a drink through any of life's hard times. I have at times cried out to him for help and he has been right by my side, carrying me through. I know today that I need Christ in my life. He has been my comforter, my forgiver, my love my best friend, and has never failed me. You hear that? She's married to Christ. I am on a new spiritual journey today and embrace washing away the old me to create a new me with Christ by my side. Friends, that's transformation, right? That is living proof, if someone needs it, that Jesus is alive and active, and he wants to make me the person that he created me to be. This is the me he always intended This is what he wants for you, and he came into our broken world to make it possible. Put your trust in him. Take the way out. Ask him to help you to be the person he's always created you to be. He will be faithful. Let's thank him together. Lord Jesus, we just bless your name. You are faithful. You paid the ultimate price to bring us into a relationship with you, and you haven't stopped. You're alive today. You're a breath away, Lord. When we call out to you, you're there. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just come, fill us with your Holy Spirit, shape me, mold me, make me into the Jonathan you want me to be. And Lord, I pray that for every person here, we just cry out to you, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, would you help us to be the new you that you made us to be. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, and everyone said, amen.